Hey everyone, welcome to Orange Crushing It, a weekly series dedicated to high drive, passionate and motivated individuals. I'm your host, Frank Clark, President and CEO of The Mr. Orange. This shows a weekly dose of business, life and personal development principles geared toward bringing out the adrenaline junkie and overachiever in each and every one of you. As a seasoned entrepreneur of over five companies producing hundreds of millions in revenue, I'm going to personally be sharing my stories of success and, of course, my life-defining massive screw-ups, <laughs> as well as featuring inspiring guests, business leaders, athletes, thrill-seekers who just truly want to walk their talk and make life happen. Stick around, and let's get crushing. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Orange Crushing It. I am Frank Clark, the CEO and founder of The Mr. Orange. And what, again, is The Orange Energy all about? It's about being driven and passionate and finding the significance in yourself and others and helping other people get what they want, being a contributor, being a big force in the world. And today I have just that on my show. I have a really good friend, Neil Conlon. He's a big voice in the world. And why is Neil such a big voice in the world? Well, let me tell you a little bit about him. He's very much like myself in so much that he's a serial entrepreneur. I did not do this, but I really respect that he, he did, and I thank him. He's a Marine veteran, five years, I believe, and thank you, Neil, for your service for that. He's also a father of two daughters. He's built and scaled uh, and has acquired businesses, and his most recent startup exit raised about $140 million in investments over a two-year period. He's uh, been in business for 15 years and personal growth. Neil focuses on leading, inspiring, and providing frameworks to improve emotional intelligence. I'm going to ask him about that later. He's, uh, like I said, he's a father of two daughters. And as such, I'm a father of one daughter myself, and we want to protect our daughters. And so in an effort to protect our daughters, Neil has started coaching men. That's the best way to protect is, you know, coach the guys in the world. And he started a, a movement called Be Him, which, uh, teaches men to be uh, get in touch with their vulnerability, their consciousness, their awareness, and to love themselves first. Neil has traveled 300,000 miles in just the last year, spoke at 25 major conferences in groups as large as 10,000 people while being a single dad, so he knows how to manage all that. During this quarantine, he's been supporting brick-and-mortar businesses and transforming the businesses to take them 100% online, which is really fascinating. I really want to learn about that. This guy has a beard longer than my right arm okay he's a stunning dude (laughs) he can sport it though he can make it look good not me so much but he looks really good neil conlin welcome to orange crushing it brother how are you good good that intro i got goosebumps i'm like who is this guy even talking about right now (laughs) it's been quite the journey and uh i appreciate the conversation we had the other day and i'm very happy to be here with you as well yeah, thanks, brother. Thanks. Uh, and again, thank you for your service with the Marine Corps. You know, really, thank you. really, truly appreciate that. You mentioned that we're providing frameworks to provide emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence. Can you tap on that just a little bit? What do you mean by emotional intelligence? What's a yeah. trait of somebody who's emotionally intelligent? Yeah, so let me just back up a little, little bit there. And something that I have gone through as a parent, as a dad, some point, I think, in everyone's lives, we get to a point where we finally like appreciate all of the like the sacrifices that our parents made for us at some point in our lives, right? So, like when it's when we're ten, we don't realize it. When we're teenagers in the early twenties, we definitely don't realize it. And then at some point, like in your twenties, thirties, forties, whatever it is, all of a sudden, like a switch flips, and you're like, now I understand everything my 
mom, my dad, whatever parent you had, have. So when I grew up, I grew up, uh, my parents divorced when I was five. My mom had me when she was 16. No solid male role models in my life growing up. And because of that, there's an interesting thing that went on where I became very just kind of emotionally aware of everything. And And then I started to do some research over the years and realized that children that come out of broken homes or don't grow up with a traditional family end up developing this like extra emotional layer or because it's not normal. So like the blueprint breaks and then all of a sudden they have to have this new emotional awareness, right? Some people will call it street smarts. You know, some people it's emotional awareness, emotional intelligence, EQ is called sometimes now in business. And it's really like this, just this this, example is just this ability to kind of read based on, body language, people's feelings, the feeling of the room, how people are just kind of experiencing things, things in a certain way. And it's like, you know, talking to somebody and having them be excited to listen to you and having them being very present, present with you versus you're babbling to someone, they're thinking about, you know, walking the dog or walking the, or feeding the cat later on, or thinking about what the baseball game is going to be like. And one of the things that happened for me when I went through the military is the military teaches you a lot more of this situational awareness and emotional intelligence because of the high risk situations you're put in. And it just amplified for me so much so that when I got into business and started running businesses of my own, I started to go and lead with this kind of emotional intelligence all the time versus a spreadsheet or some other framework that someone developed. And then I started to realize that people just don't have enough frameworks around this thing for emotional intelligence because it's very hard to conceptualize it if you have you can't see, touch, or feel it. So it's hard sometimes for people to be taught like how do you be mindful in a business conversation? How do you be present? How do you come in with very clear boundaries and clear expectations? And otherwise, it just kind of meanders off into the ether. Sure. Do you think that a big chunk of that, though, is really when you talk about emotional intelligence and you talk about bonding and rapport and you're talking about, you know, frameworks and all that stuff to me? And, you know, I I love your opinion on to me. A lot of that boils down to what I would call or consider and I've heard referred to as level five listening. It's listening for the little micro distinctions. It's listening for the things that people tell you that most people have their own agenda in a conversation, right? It's all about their own level of significance, personal significance. Hey, let me out talk you. Let me be louder than you. Let me laugh louder than you. Right. Let me come in the conversation, right? To the point where they're not really listening. They're not really listening. And, you know, when you talk to somebody and they say to you something like, like you, for example, right? Hey, look, this is my life story. I was five years in the Marines. I'm a dad of two kids. You know, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Things that you mention, or my mom was pregnant at 16, okay, and you say something about that, and then you go on, but I want to sell you something. So I, I go, oh, oh, that's great, you're in the Marine Corps, thank you for your service. I pay no attention to the fact that you said your mom was 16 years old, and yet, you said it for a reason, right? Right? You said it for a reason, because your mom grew up tough, okay, it's probably some level, it was difficult to have teenagers having kids is tough, okay, anybody having kids is tough, especially teenagers, right? Sure. Especially, especially teenagers. 
And, and that, you know, her toughness, I'm sure, paid off with you. Marine Corps added to your level of toughness, right? You being in charge of men's groups and speaking. Adds to your toughness. Adds to who you are. It's all, you know, components of your fiber, all components of your being. And not to pay attention to those little things really invalidates what you're talking about. And it, and it, it basically separates people in the conversation. And I guess that's part of the emotional intelligence quota or, the, you know, the EQ thing you're talking about. The level five listening is a very critical piece of it. I would even take it a step further because I'm just like um, one of the things that's been successful for me or people find value in really is I'm an infinite tinkerer. And when I say that, I mean, you know, I'm sitting here in front of you, right? I've got the, this long beard that I've had for a couple of years now. I'm covered in lots of tattoos. And there was a point in my life where, you know, I first came out of the military I really struggled with what that new identity looks like because you don't have the uniform anymore and stuff like that. And I remember going in, going into when I was in corporate jobs at some of the biggest investment banks on the planet and going in with my suit and tie and, and that there is this construct or framework that goes on for a lot of the world where you are based on the way you look, on top of the way you listen, on top of the et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, these layers that we think are of a certain perception of somebody. Oh, yeah. And I'll, I'll always remember I was at a business meeting and we were doing a, a transaction that was going to be for a couple hundred million dollars. And all the suit and ties run in and I was in a junior position and the meeting goes really, really well. And they're all high-fiving. They're going to, they're, they're already cashing the checks and I looked over at the managing director and I said, that guy's not going to do this deal with you. He was blowing smoke. And they looked at me and they said, Neil, you don't know what you're talking about. And I said, no. I was like, he didn't shine his shoes. And he goes, what does that even mean? I'm like, I don't know about you, but if I was going to go spend, go buy a Maserati, if I was going to go spend $200 million on a piece of real estate, I'm going to shine my shoes before I go there. <laughs> And he was I'm like, looking at my shoes now, by the way. Thank, uh, thank God I'm there shined for this, this podcast. <laughs> and he, he, went, he went, that makes no sense. And I said, maybe to your college degree, to your master program, maybe it makes no sense. But I'm just saying that there is something about the situation that comes up to me that because of his shoes, he is not going to sign that deal. And the guy never backed out of the deal. No kidding. Okay. And it's sort of, it, there is this thing that goes on to us, whether... You, it's a modality of energetically or something that like when you show up to do something and you pay enough attention to all of the different layers of the room and the look and the feel, it's right. It's like, you know, you grew up in Boston. It's like we knew when we were growing up in these big cities, if you turn down the wrong street and it just didn't feel right, there was nothing to say that it was wrong, but you'd be like, I just need to go another way. There's a positive way to use that. Exactly. I, uh, you know, in my bio, I always say I have a PhD in street smarts because I was a National Honor Society student for 12 years, but then college became all about the fraternity and the karate team and women and fun. And, you know, so they kind of escorted me out of there. Then I became a young, <laughs> I became a young dad too. But nonetheless, street smarts is where it's all about. Really, I think it's, you know, it's who you know, what you know. And, and I'm not, a, I'm not, disagreeing with formal education, but I also believe that there's a lot more to it when you learn, uh, as you have, like, you know, the levels of neuro-linguistic programming, the ways of communication, looking at body language, you know, the modalities of people, 
whether they're kinesthetic or, you know, whether they're uh, auditory or visual, these types of things. And you pay attention to those little things. And, and they really are the language of communication. When you really boil it down, I mean, words are what, only 7%? And the rest of it, 93% is, is how we express it, how we dress, how we say Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's fantastic that you, you have that kind of awareness. Tell me a little bit about your men's movement. You know, you said be him. When I think that, by the way, when I, when I read this, right away, a, a figure came in my head. That figure was my dad. Mm. Okay. Be him. And I don't know, how did you come up with the name be him? And is there a be him for you in retrospect? You know, do you visualize somebody and go, that's the role model? Or is it yourself? You know, how, do you, how, do you, how did that all come to be? Right. So, so a cup, I'll, I'll pull that apart into three different answers, uh, if that's okay with you. So very fascinating that the Be Him brand makes you think of your father. I think that every single man that I have put it in front of, it automatically goes somewhere, right? There's this thread that just shows up, which just shows the value of the brand. Where, where it actually came from is, is that I came across the Be Her movement and I was like, what about the dudes, right? Like that, and, but, but for me, what, what I went through and building up to the Be Him was, um, you know, probably about five or six years ago now, this year is kind of a wash. So maybe, maybe it was six years ago, you know, I was working for big companies, making a lot of money, had the big house had the family doing the vacations. And I remember standing out over a balcony, looking out over this amazing beach, this amazing sunset and this great place and just being miserable and being like, what else, what else could I physically give myself? And it really very short, very shortly after that, I went through kind of this like mini, as many of us do a, a mini breakdown and I turned around and said, you know, all of this stuff that I've accumulated, like, I don't want any of it. And I do not want to be responsible for attending to any, any of it because it means nothing to me. And so from that point on, I started doing a whole, I started going, you know, becoming the seeker profile that we're all very much familiar with. And I started going into like, well, I'm going to go to this man thing. And what I realized is that there were needs that I needed in my life, but there was things that there was holes for my childhood. And I had somewhere along the way, got the two things confused. And I was trying to take the things in my adult life and fill in the holes that were there, put there from childhood traumas and stuff like that. And at some point, it's this classic, you can't put the square head, square peg in the round hole, and it, it just keeps on banging against each other like this, and then you're wondering why it hurts. Right. Right? And so I had done a whole bunch of work, you know, some of it included, you know, through our connection, through the Tony Robbins community. I had done a whole bunch of other personal development stuff. I had done a whole bunch of therapy. And then this, like, new version of myself kind of, evolved out into, you know, starting my own companies, doing startup stuff, speaking with a lot of more conviction, a lot more boundaries and men started pulling. I was at conferences speaking about technology stuff and men would pull me aside that know me for a long time. And they'd be like, 
Neil, I want to know what drug or what drink you're drinking because I want some too. And then as I started to explain to other men, I said, look, instead of blaming your wife or your girlfriend or society or going outward, when was the last time that you really thought about going inward and really just dissecting and pulling apart some of the pieces as it relates to your masculinity and, you know, as it relates to my daughters, what I saw was that like, I remember getting super excited about five or six years ago because I'm watching my daughters get older and then I'm watching all these powerful, great entrepreneurial women take on all these great roles. And while we still have a lot of work to do in across the communities and ecosystems, right? We live in a time when women can make more money than they ever have been able to financially. Uh, they can sustain a lifestyle and they can take care of their own kids. They get a job. They get their own house. They, they, they get cars. They, they do it all. Yeah. And then men who are trying to step up to have relationships with those women who for thousands of years were like, I'm supposed to be the guy sitting at the head of the table, making all the money, being in charge of all the decisions. And now I don't, where do I even fit in with that? Because the woman can do it all by herself if she was set up for success the right way. Right. And, and that was where I got to the point where I was like, we got to help these guys not fall by the wayside. We got to help these guys not get wrapped up in swiping on Tinder or playing video games or, you know, getting caught up in bro culture. And then suddenly when they can't attract a relationship or can't get the job or can't do the thing they want to do, they're not, they're not even capable of blaming themselves. They're blaming society and everyone else around them and everything else. And so that's kind of led me on this mission now to be like, I can actually be a Sherpa or be a guide and for, because of my forwardness and because of my military training and my ability to ask the hard questions, I'm not going to be like, Hey, maybe you should be a better man. Maybe you should trust people better. We're going to get into it hard and we're going to cry and we might hit each other, but we're going to, we're going to get there one way or another, probably both. That's all right. That sounds tough. It sounds great though. You know, sometimes, like you say, that's what it takes is to really push somebody to get to their breaking point. I mean, that's when transformation happens, right? That's when the greatness in life happens is when you, when you had a breakthrough, right? When you get to the other side of it, you go, oh, my God, I absolutely needed this. It wasn't as tough as I really thought it was going to be. And yet, the, the awareness and the learning and everything else that comes out of it is just amazing. Yep. A question for you, Neil. You know, I have a 24-year-old stepson. Well, he's 25 now. I've got a 37-year-old son. And I'm in my early 60s, right? All of these guys have different issues, right? I think generationally, we all have different things that are popping up for us. Sure. Young guys now, millennials and all that stuff. What do you think the biggest issue is? And, and, I, and, and I'm sensing from what you told me that the lack of masculinity, because women have had to take on a lot of this Zeus, if you will, king-like energy to survive, especially single moms. Who, by the way, I think that's the hardest job on the planet. I have the ultimate respect for a single mom. I think that is just amazing what they do. But for men to step into their masculinity or regain it at some level, not to be cocky or bullying-like, you know, not to that machismo that's, that's over the top, 
But what would you say is the biggest issues facing like millennial guys right now or, or guys in their 30s? And then I guess the third question would be like guys my age, 60s. You know, what's, what's the biggest challenge that seems to be facing each generation? That's a very good question. And, and I appreciate you framing it like that. So I'll say this a couple of times during the podcast that I am this infinite researcher that when something comes up that it's like that interesting data point, like what makes millennials different? You know, like I go right into the weeds and go down the rabbit hole on that one. But I can give you some metrics. The reason why I say is because I can bring you some metrics, right? So if you look at across the United States, for example, 43% of all boys grow up in a household with no, with no dad, right? So almost 50%. And 78% of teachers in schools are all women. So with, the, with just those two numbers, you're talking about by the time a boy is 18, 50% of his home, at least 50% of them, their home life was 100% influenced by their primary caregiver, which was their mom. And then their alternative care, the alternative amount of time in their lives was female influenced anyway. Right. So by the time they're 18 and people are expecting them to act like a young man, how could you even do that? Like the math problem is working not in your favor. And so when a young man, especially that millennial generation who grew up in a generation of where they were given things and didn't have to work for them as easy because the, the decade of that was, it goes back to that hunter gatherer inside of us, the young man for his tribe never had to hunt, never had to gather. Everything was just given, 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 given. And all of that feminine influence, and, and I just mean it from, when I say feminine or masculine influence, I just mean like the essence of it. I don't, I don't mean what gender or what's in between somebody's legs. But by the time they're in their 20s, right, and they go to college, for example, then they graduate, and then suddenly they're dating, let's just say for a conversation person, this man starts dating a woman, and the woman went to college and suddenly they're dating together. And suddenly she's like, why can't you just man up? Why can't you just act more like a guy? Why can't you just be more manly? And it's like, have you seen what happened back there? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I don't have the path. Like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, and, you know, I have people in my communities now who are reaching out to me who have 11, 12 year old boys who are being raised by fathers who are of those generations and the mothers are saying, my son needs a good example of masculinity. How can you help? And what it goes back to really is, is that we in the last 50 years have become so good as a society at passing down trauma and think the bad things that happen to people. We pass down the what happened in a war, what happened in a fire, what happened in a family. We passed on all these negative things, but we've lost. And a lot of the men's work and a lot of the men's events uh, that I've attended and, and run in the past are tied to this whole idea that we need this ceremony. We need this practice. We need something that this rite of passage that has to be constantly brought back to men so that they can pass down positive experiences and knowledges and stuff like that. I mean, like the perfect example, right? You're, you're a grandfather. So, you know, that's where the magic really happens because it becomes about like, what are the, I'm sure you think about this now, what are the lessons? What are the, th what are the positive things that I can, 
passed down to the multiple generations of children in my, in my legacy. Right. And let's do that in a positive way. Right. At some point in your life, as much as you want to influence your grandkids, you know, and I certainly want to want to have that, that blessing and do that. You know, I've got one now and I got one on the way in February. I kind of look at it as, well, what kind of job did I do with my kids? If I did a great job with my kids, then I did a good job with my grandkids. Because I'm at the spoiling of age right now. I'm at the fun, right. fun granddad, right? You know, <laughs> take them places and buy them things and show them stuff and all that. Getting back to your point about, because uh, it triggered just a thought in my mind about that a lot of guys have grown up with only one parent, mother. And then 72% approximately are teachers and they're women. Of those 72% that are women, I would venture that most of them grew up in a home with one parent, right? Because two generations, right, have probably yep. experienced this, right? So you've got a single mom who's had to take on the male influence, if you will. She's had to just evolve into that. Look, I had to grow into that because there was no guy here. I had to yep. be the man of the family. Then the teachers are the man of the family in their own right. So they're, they're delegating or they're being a disciplinarian in school, right? To the point where I got to believe that, and now you have, you know, situations like the Me Too movement, very masculine energy there, right? At some degree. And I find that on the opposite side of guys not being able to really tap into their male energy, their male uh, sense, their male drive, their male, that, that hunter-gatherer, I'm also seeing that women are having a hard time stepping into their female. It's hard for them to be, I mean, I coach a lot of women. I coach a lot of people. And it's, it's one of the things that I see that's a shift now is women have had to be so strong, be so tough, be so in charge, right? That now to shift and to be feminine and soft and, and just to surrender into that space, it affects relationships in quite a dynamic way. Have you seen something like that or? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is a, a fantastic way to, to frame that. In a lot of the work that, that I've done and a lot of the mentorship that I subscribe to, just, just before we did this, this podcast, I was on my weekly call with John Wineland, uh, who's, who's a, an ex, excellent masculinity coach. But like, if you look at some of the stuff that Alison Armstrong writes about and, and other folks, this whole thing is, is, is the first thing that we need in order for us to feel to live is safety and security. It's a primal need to feel safe and secure. The flowiness, the love, the emotion definitely doesn't work if I don't feel safe and secure. Right. And if, so if you subscribe to that modality at all of these feminine masculine influence, right, the way that I always explain it, like, that safe, that masculine side, that safety and security is always kind of overarching over the feminine side of it. Because the first thing is I've got to feel safe. I've got to feel secure. The mind game that I have struggled, struggled with in a former life that I see is that men will many times, because, because that masculine energy is being used incorrectly, right? So if you think about it, here's the that feminine flow. And so a woman doesn't have a feminine essence, doesn't have a uh, feel safe and secure. So she takes that on, right? Because she needs to define it for her and her children because that masculine energy, we get called like, like you and me, like 
it's like two guys getting challenged and bit to, to compete, right? It's like the warrior wants to come out. We, we want to fight each other. It's what we're supposed to do. Right. But in this world, it's so confusing right now that like men will often be attracted, myself included. I've done this before. I will be, I've been attracted to a woman because I felt the masculine like charge. Like I, I was, I felt that I was like, even if she looked feminine, there was a masculine presence. And I was like, yeah, we're going to fight. And then you get, you get six or eight months into a relationship. You're like, why am I fighting all the time with this person? Yeah. And you don't even realize it. <laughs> but you are tough. I fall. I'm in love with you. <laughs> you just knocked my teeth out. Oh, I love you. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> right. I, I guarantee you, we've all been in this relationship with someone where we were severely attracted to them, but all we did was bang heads. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because both sides were feminine because that banging of the heads is a masculine trait. Right. And something that I have really put a lot of my own, my own personal practice in to, and is very hard for me just naturally because of the word is this idea of surrendering and That's vulnerability, right? And That's being the- vulnerable. And right. instead of trying to reach for the sword or reach for whatever weapon you want, trying to disarm yourself first so that you can come in with humility and grace and be vulnerable. And you don't always need to be the warrior. Can I ask you, Neil, you know, because usually there's at least one pivotal moment where people accept vulnerability as a strength and they learn that that's the time. You know, I can yeah. tell you, you know, for me, I was in a personal development seminar, first one I ever went to. I was this tough 30 year old guy, ran my, one of my own companies, I already made my first million. And I was a cocky motherfucker. I just was. And I didn't want to go. I didn't, I, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm sitting there, sitting there, and I'm like, I'm listening to people cry. And inside, I'm making fun of them. And I'm going, ah, oh, this is not me. That's not me. That's not me. Right. You know, and the seminar goes all day, Saturday, all day, Sunday, Monday. And I remember this facilitator looking me square in the eye and he said, 99 percent's a bitch, Frank. 100 percent or nothing. 100 percent or nothing. I'm like, eh, you know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to share, Frank? Nah, yeah, I'm not going to get up there and cry. <laughs> and because that's my that was my stereotype of a seminar. Right. Then I get up there on a Saturday. And we just talk about divorce and my kids leaving. And I had, a, I had the inc- most incredible breakdown I think I've ever had in my life. I was so vulnerable. I was so raw. And everyone in the room was like, oh, my God, you're a hero. You said what we needed to say. You, you told us everything we needed to hear. You, like, you, you are the star of, of everything that I went to the seminar for. Thank you for being this raw. And from that point on, I'm like, okay, vulnerability is really a strength. Okay? And so in your life, Neil, was there a moment in your life that you went, Okay, this is when I had that vulnerable moment that changed the trajectory of my life. This is what it was. Do you think every yeah. guy needs to have that moment where they understand it's a strength? I got flooded with two or three, so I'm trying to sort them out real quick in my head. I would say one of the big ones was I, I had started a company over a weekend. And that first week, I went into my first sales meeting. And had a PowerPoint presentation, did an amazing presentation about what this company is going to offer. It was a digital marketing agency. And uh, I got done with the presentation and the CEO of this company said, Neil, that was fantastic. How much does it cost? And I said, it's $25,000 a week. And he said, send me a contract. And I walked out of that meeting and about pooped myself. (laughs) And 
knew that I was onto something, knew that I had potential, knew, knew these things. And I went on such a law of attraction, high manifestation kick, whatever you want to call it, that I closed a million dollars in sales in the following month for this business. Wow. And it was like the, the universe was, war- and, and I was doing it. I felt humble about it. I felt good. I felt I was doing everything the right way. What I didn't have at that time was some of the right skills and right people in place and right team around me and mentorship in order to be able to run that fast so quickly, right? Like there's a reason why it takes you a long time to train for a marathon. Within six months, I put that business completely into the grounds, nosedived it, put it so far in the ground that like you couldn't bury something better than I did in burying that business. And I finally got to a point where I was like, you know what? Like it was surrender as in I'm giving in and leaning in to what this is supposed to mean and supposed to teach me. This is not surrender as in the way we picture it as in giving up to this day. I still think it was one of the most amazing things that ever that's ever happened in my life. And it was businessy, but it was totally personal the way, the way that it was received. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. Again, I think that's when, that's when breakthroughs happen, right? Is when we have these breakdowns and we're, we're not afraid to enter into them. You know, the more and more you fail, the more and more use you have these moments of vulnerability or a perceived weakness, let's say, and you just step into it. You just go, Hey, I don't care. I'm just going to push through it. I, you know, Marine training obviously would help with some of that. Right. And just your intestinal fortitude pushes you forward and you come out the other side and you're so much better off anyways. Right. So I, I really applaud you for, you know, stepping up and being part of a, a men's movement, if you will, and teaching people how vulnerability is actually a strength and how they can love themselves first, you know, all about that power of gratitude. That's just a really cool thing. Now, you know, I hear that you're taking businesses and I, and I applaud you for all your success in all these business areas. I mean, just, you know, to take a, a startup and raise $140 million in two years, that's outstanding. <laughs> you know, that's incredible success, Right. Yes, it was it, it was a great run, and uh, the whole time went like that. It, well, two years goes by faster than you can think, right? Yeah, if it doesn't. If you don't think so, watch a kid. You know, all of a sudden, how fast they grew up, especially your own kids, right? Oh my God, that's right? Two more years. Oh my God, they're in high school. Oh my God, they're married and out of the house. And now, you know, with COVID and everything else, people are looking to shift, right? This is the big topic nowadays, right? Uh, you know, how can I transition my business and you had mentioned to me that during this quarantine, you're, you're tr- turning brick and mortar into an almost 100% online kind of business. Yep. Talk to, talk to me about that. How you do well, it. What's your idea? You, you, you know, one of the things that I think is most interesting, and you'll, you'll recall this as probably as clearly as I will. I remember, like, it must have been 15 years ago when, maybe 20 years ago, actually, when you would walk into a store and actually buy a box that had software in it that you had to take home. Yeah. Like you'd buy Microsoft Windows in a box or Apple, whatever. Yeah. And then you'd go home and plug it in, right? Yep. And so I was always fascinated that as technology evolved, and as I was doing technology stuff, how it came down to the point of now 
you can go to mikewindows.com or google.com and just download the software, right? So they took something that was at that time brick and mortar and then took it to where you don't need to go anywhere. And if you look at when the housing market pooped out on us in 2008, 2009, and you had things like Airbnb and Uber, you know, start. And so like before, before that, like the idea of putting your kid in a car with a stranger was a terrible idea. And now people do it like, yeah, we're going to go out, get drunk. And uh, we're going to take it, have a stranger take us home to our house, to our door. And we're going to thank him for it. Right. Right. And then Airbnb, we're going to, we're going to let a stranger come in. They're going to have access to everything. They can stay as long as they want, as long as they're paying for it. Right. (laughs) But what that did was, is that during this time of challenge, it opened up people's minds to different ways of doing business, right? These, whether it's a software model, a car share ride, a shared space, a subscription box, a membership online, all these different things. And I think we got to a point last year where it felt to me like people were getting a little bit too comfortable and people were starting businesses all over the place and people were popping up restaurants and it's great, but I think that we needed to shrink and consolidate a little bit, a little bit more. But now because of this, I became immediately caught up in this idea that if you're running a dance studio and you can't have people in your dance studio, you, you should go hundred percent digital and take it online and let people dance in the comfort of their own home. If you run a hardware store, maybe you should be selling subscription boxes that have all of the home, all of the tools that you need for one home that come in your box every month. You know, maybe uh, if you're a clothing store, you should be doing uh, trunk deliveries to people's houses. They keep the clothes that they want and they send the rest back, right? And these are all things that nobody would ever really be, like be that interested in unless we were kind of being forced into converting here. And so what we're seeing is that these businesses are now able to morph and have different open models and be make, making money at a time when that can be challenging and be able to reduce their costs, right? Like I just did a working session with a landscaping company that is now going to be pivoting and doing kind of like pay for the whole year and everything just happens. Like they just do it instead of paying for your lawnmower guy to come and throw in some plants or whatever, like having an actual subscription model and all the things just happen. Right. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's but if fantastic. someone said that to you last year, you'd be like, that sounds crazy. I'm not doing that. Right. Right. I mean, we, well, who thought that we were going to be, quarantined and stuck in our homes and not able to do the things that we wanted to do. But the, the, with, you know, with every, with every situation or with every, uh, you know, rainstorm comes a rainbow, right? It's the other side of it. And you got to be looking for that and you got to believe it's going to happen and, and move, you got to act in a timely fashion before it swallows you up. And I think, yeah. And, and know, I think one of the hard things of entrepreneurship that I've been through, I'm sure you've been through too, is that we put so much energy and so much belief into the thing that we're building, right? That box, that widget, that service, whatever it is, that when, when the economy or something comes into it and says, this thing that you, that you built is not going to work in this shape right now, right? I've done this before. I've built businesses and been like, no, no, no. I just, I just got to get five, 10, 15 more customers 
and then it's going to take off. Instead of just putting that energy, and this is one of the things I think I, I value people in is like I have no affinity towards anything. Like one of my superpowers is my ability to change my mind. Like this is not working. Let's quickly change and do something else. Right. And in in a time when we have so much uncertainty, being able to be like, well, the way you were making money is not working right now. Let's find alternative ways to make money. And maybe you'll build new products or services out of it along the way. Well, like you said, your superpower is to change your mind, change direction. I listened to General Schwarzkopf when he spoke about Desert Storm and running the troops there. He said, look, when you're in a position of leadership, make a decision. It's a wrong decision. Change your decision. Right. You know, okay, there's a superpower, right? But it's the it's the speed in which people make decisions and accept the fact they made the wrong decision and change course, right? And how often do you do that? You do it until you get it right. I give a shit if it's a hundred times, right? right? And sometimes the embarrassment of doing it is what keeps people from doing it in the first place. Oh, I was wrong. I was wrong. I don't want to be called out on being stupid. I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to look like a failure. So they don't take a change. And then they stay in this stuck abyss of just pain and agony. Rather, you know what you need to do, you know? You know what you need to do? Stop eating the pizza for lunch. You know you, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> One less six-pack on the weekend, okay? You want a six-pack on the belly? Put the six-pack away out of, you know, the core's light can go away. <laughs> right, exactly. Right? Exactly. It's, it's the little things. Persistence lets you get it, and consistency lets you keep it. That's a phrase I love. You know, if you want something hard, be persistent at it. If you want to own it and keep it forever, we'll stay consistent at it, right? You don't have to constantly be, you know, that remember that remember that merry-go-round and the, the kids used to play on in the park. I don't know how old you are, but you know, there's these merry-go-round used to push, and it was like it was circular and, and it had little slices of pie. People would sit on this thing, and one kid had to be the sucker and, and push the thing as hard as he could, right? You're like, you run with the thing, and you finally get a thing to move, right? And friends are kicking you in the head, you're falling in the gravel, and <laughs> And they're not helping. They're just sitting there on their lazy asses. And you're doing all the work. Kind of like running right. a business sometimes, right? Kind of like running a family, right? You push this thing, you push this thing. Finally, you get the freaking thing to go, and it goes. And you, then you take your hand, and you just kind of you grab a bar, and you just, oh, you shove it, right? And you grab it, and you yep. shove it. And the thing just keeps moving, right? And the weight of everybody on there just keeps moving. And then all of a sudden, you go, you stop taking your hand off, right? That's the consistent, right? You want to keep it? You want to keep the thing flowing? Oh, hey, just keep moving. And all of a sudden, you take your hand off, and the thing stops. And where are you at? Square one again. <laughs> hey, you assholes, push this thing. I'm out. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Neil, uh, great conversation today. Great conversation. I, before we finish, though, you have two daughters. And I always envy guys. You know, I have one daughter. And daughters, in my opinion, you know, I love my son to death. My son, my boys, um, I love them to death. But daughters always become like daddy's girls. When they get older, you know, that's, you'll especially see that. Right? My daughter's in her 30s. And it's just, there's a special bond. There's always a special bond with all you kids. But there's absolutely a special bond between father and daughter. I always like Raz and my daughter. She likes, she's got a great sense of humor. She likes Raz and me. So do you have a uh, father-daughter story that, like, when your daughter listens to it, she goes, Dad, you didn't say that, did you really? Where either they humbled you or you, you know, you had a, just a funny moment with them. Just to finish up with, uh, later on in their life, you'll bring it up at their weddings. You'll be like, okay, in the speech that you give <laughs> your daughters, <laughs> right? this will be the speech. What, was, what would be something like that? Oh, I've got a, I've got a bunch of those. Uh, one, one of the ones that just recently happened, it's actually really funny, it is, and this is where you can use the, this is a good tip for any dads out there. So my, my youngest daughter is nine, which is a great, great age because 
dad's numero uno. And she's about to be, I guess they call it a tween now. And so I'm holding on to those moments preciously. And so she has her own phone, but we share a Spotify account. And so when I don't have her and she plays Spotify, I know what she's listening to. And so I purposefully learn the lyrics to all the songs that she listens to. And then when we get in the car and play them, she's like, Dad, you, how do you always know the words of these songs? And I'm like, I don't know. Dad's just good at music, I guess. And it's totally because I'm listening in the back. She never knows I'm there. And, I'm, and I just learn the words to every... Every new rap theme, song. Every song, every, every song. And she's like, you know all the words. And I'm like, I'm just good like that. And so I know that when she gets older, right, to your point, She's going to be like, when, we, when I was little, dad knew all the words to all the songs. And I'm like, yep, I did. <laughs> Use Taylor Swift and Post Malone right here, all in one guy. There you go. <laughs> Knows all the tunes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great story, dude. Great story. Awesome. Hey, listen, Neil, you have a fascinating life. You have a fascinating mission. I really am honored and blessed that you are on my show today. You really do embody the whole orange energy there's so much more to you. And I know that people would love to get in touch with you and learn more about you. How can they do that? How can people reach out to you and know more about Neil Conlon? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I really appreciate you having me on the show. This is fantastic. Thank you for taking the time. I honor you for that. For anyone who would like to connect or learn more, most of my social handles are at I am Neil Conlon, N-E-A-L-C-O-N-L-O-N. And I spend a lot of time on social media, so they can probably get a hold of me there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, Neil, thanks very much for being on the show today. And everybody that had a chance to listen, be like him, be like Neil, and, <laughs> <laughs> and have an, an amazing day, an amazing week. Keep on Orange crushing it and stay inspiring, y'all. Ciao. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Orange Crushing It. Hope you're fired up to take on your week with unstoppable energy. Hey, if you like the broadcast, please subscribe. Share it with your best buds, and please write a badass review. You can also reach me at themrorange.com. Stay inspiring, all.